Turn your Bibles to John 10. John 10. Okay, now this is going to be a little bit of a part two of John 10. Because last week we looked at Jesus being the gate, right? And we talked about the voice of Jesus and, and people responding to the voice of Jesus. And uh, that was a big part of the first part of this text. And now we're going to continue right on through, beginning in verse 11, and, uh, and pick up where we sort of left off last time in Jesus having this discussion with the religious leaders and the people that are gathered there. Let's pick it up in, in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Of course, it's right after he says in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jesus is clearly frustrated with the religious Jewish leaders. He is annoyed with them. He's frustrated with them. But this is actually not a new thing. We're going to look at a couple Old Testament passages that will give you a feel for, for a time of... This, this concept of the shepherds of God's people that are in it for themselves and not really taking care of the people. But in the context of what we're looking at here, look back in chapter 9 uh, to verse 13. Now what has happened in 1 through 12 is that Jesus has opened the eyes of a blind man. And I'll read just a little bit on it here in verse 6. As having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, uh, to the pool of Siloam and to wash, and blah, blah, blah. So I always think about Jesus and His spitting ministry here. You know, He, he spits in the ground, He makes mud, puts it on there. He says, go wash yourself in the pool and you'll be seeing. He actually, He comes out of that and He can see. And we're going to pick it up in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. And this is the guy speaking. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. And I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous miraculous signs? And so they were divided. So in our text, back here in verse 19, it says, at these words, the Jews were again divided 
is making reference back to this. And so we've got two different uh, times in this whole text here where the people, you have some of the people on one side of the room that are saying, he's, he's a lunatic, he's an idiot, he's, 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 he's full of demons, he's raving mad. And you've got another group of people over here, the other side of the room is saying, now wait a minute. How can a guy that's raving mad and, and crazy, how can he actually do what he did? And so there was a big division about Jesus and trying to interpret and figure out what was going on with him. Verse 17, Finally they turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He's a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? So they bring the guy's parents in and say, Hey, what's up? Is, is this kid, this young man really been blind from birth? We know he's our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He can vote. <laughs> and he can speak for himself. So that gives you a little background of what's going on in this whole discussion. And Jesus is clearly really frustrated with the Jewish religious leaders because he has done this great miracle that it's obvious he's done. I mean, how more obvious can it be? A person born blind. His parents are there saying, yes, He's our Son. We recognize Him. And yes, He's been blind ever since we knew Him. And they still won't move. They won't budge. They won't believe that Jesus is from God and has actually done a miraculous thing in this person's life. And he's frustrated with these guys. Now look back in your Old Testament to Ezekiel 34. This is not a new thing. This idea of the religious leaders being the shepherds of God's people, but really not having very good hearts. Ezekiel 34. You guys getting there? And teenagers, I don't care whether you're at the prom or not. I don't know why, I don't know whining and, and, and moaning about being sleepy. You know, you may get that from whoever made announcements, not me. You, you can take a nap this afternoon. Right now, pay attention. Ezekiel 34, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against, get that, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and over every high hill. They were scattered of the whole earth, and no one searched to look for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As sure as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, 
flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds, and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock. So that my shepherds can no longer, so the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. So this idea is is ancient that the leaders of God's people are in it to take care of themselves and are not taking care of the people. And the shepherd and sheep analogy is old, it's ancient, it's always been going on. Now I can tell you as a shepherd of this flock, I read a passage like that and it sends a chill up my spine. God expects me to be a shepherd of the flock, to take care of the church, and to take care of the every individual person in the church. To bind up the, the ones that are wounded. To help the ones that are weak. To make sure everybody, at least as far as I have ability to take care of it, that they have what they need in life. And you and God are going to hold me accountable for that. That's important for me to understand. That this idea... That someone could actually be a leader, but not be a good-hearted person is not something that was new in Jesus' time. It goes all the way back. Look over to Isaiah chapter 40. Another passage with this same kind of an idea. Now, in Isaiah 40, this is a passage that is actually a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And so that's where it's going to actually flow right back into what we're studying in John 10. You guys with me here? In Isaiah 40, in verse 9, you who bring good tidings to Zion. Is that where it says, okay, hey, the Messiah, hey, you who are going to bring the good news. Go up on a high mountain, you who bring good tidings to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, His reward is with Him and His recompense accompanies Him. He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arms and He carries them close to His heart. He gently leads those that have young. And so this analogy, once again, of the shepherd and the sheep, this time in the context of the coming Messiah. The coming Messiah is going to be a shepherd. He's going to take care of the sheep. And so when Jesus says this, When he says, I am the good shepherd. Can you imagine how the religious Jewish leaders heard that? He is saying, he's the Messiah. And these are people that are not doing a very good job leading God's people. And probably know it. And so they are scared to death, most of them, of Jesus. Because Jesus represents everything that they would be afraid of. That He is going to come and He now is going to be the leader of the people and not us. And we're no longer going to have this position that we have. I love it in verse uh, 10 here where it says that He comes uh, with, with power and His arm rules for Him. Wow. There's going to be power with Jesus' ruling. His reward is with them. And his recompense, his payback, that's what recompense means. 
And he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. And he gently leads those who have young. And so there's this intimate, close, warm relationship that is prophesied here about Jesus and the individual sheep. Now, if you're a child of God today, that is the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with you. He wants you to be able to be picked up and brought into His arms. Holding you close to Him so you're sharing body heat. Is that not an awesome image? That's the kind of relationship He wants to have with you. A relationship of the shepherd to the sheep. A relationship of a, of, of a mom with their child, their young child. I always love to see mothers with their, their children. Because the children are clearly so content when they're with mom. And, and you, you know, you can just sort of sense. And, and it's not just uh, the child that's happy. Mom's happy. You know, oh, this is awesome. Having my baby, my child right here with me. And that's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with you. Now, go back to John 10. Back to where we're really looking at this thing. And we're going to, look, we're going to bring this down here and, and make some good observations, I think, for our life. Jesus wants to be your shepherd. Jesus wants you, by name. Remember it says there several times? By name. Marty. Martin, that's my real name. No one called me that, but Mr. Shirts in fourth grade. But that's another story. <laughs> Everybody else through life, Marty or Mart, okay? He wants to have, yeah, that's what my dad would call me. I don't know why, he just did. I guess he didn't want the E on the end. Mart, E, you know, whatever. Name, that name thing. And, and remember we talked about the name thing where he, he, he says, they understand the voice. Had this great thing happen this week. I was walking down the, 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 the road uh, with a couple of my friends who were talking and praying and everything. And this dog, big dog, uh, starts coming on out. But you can tell it's, sort of a, it's a big dog, but it's a young dog. And, and, and he really, really, really wanted to come over and see us. And, and he's coming and he's, and he's looking at us. And, and, and a couple of us are dog people. So we're saying, come on over, come on over, come on over. But you know what? He wouldn't do it. He didn't recognize our voice. And he really wanted to come on over and have some fellowship with us. You can sort of tell. There's a young dog, sort of a puppy that had grown up, you know, big body and still a puppy in, in, at heart. But you know, uh, you know, we were saying, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You know, because he, he didn't recognize the voice. When you recognize the voice, man, you, you run on in. Because you know there, there's, a, there's a knowledge there that you feel comfortable with in this kind of thing. Jesus wants you to respond to Him that way. To respond to the voice. Now this is His promise to you. First, number one, I will serve you. He says in verse 11, 15, and 17, I will lay down my life. Verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life. Verse 15, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life 
Verse 17, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life. Jesus has promised to you, I want to be your shepherd. And He's saying, I will serve you. Remember the story where James and John come and say, we want to sit on the right and the left hand? Remember that story? And the other apostles are are annoyed with with them. They're like, hey, what's up? And Jesus calls them all together and He says, hey, you know, not not so with you. You know, I know people in the world do it this way, but not so with you. And He ends that whole discussion with saying that I will give my life a ransom for many. I will give my life up. I will lay my life down for you. Remember the story where Jesus in John 13 washes the disciples' feet. And He washes their feet. And at the end of, the, uh, uh, of washing their feet, He says, you don't understand what I've done for you now. But you'll understand it later. That I'm going to lay down my life for you. This idea of laying down your life, for many of us, seems a bit so large and so out there that we don't really get it. Okay, Jesus laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. Is what Jesus said. But for most of us, and I admit even for myself, it, that, that, that's a little odd because I, the, 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 the truth of the matter is probably not a single one of us in this room are going to lay down our life literally for the person next to you. And so, we understand conceptually, yeah, Jesus laid down His life, and so I'm supposed to lay down my life, but I'm not sure what that really means on a day-to-day basis. Because I haven't done that. I've been a Christian for a long time. I haven't died for anybody. I expect to be a Christian the rest of my life, but I don't think I'm really going to die for somebody like Jesus did. And so we get a little confused sometimes in this. Look over to Galatians chapter 5. No, not, not verse 19. Verse 13. Some of, you, some of you flinched. You know, you hear Galatians 5 and you flinch. Oh no. Not again. Galatians 5 verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Let me suggest to you, when Jesus says, I will serve you, we understand that to mean that He'll lay down His life for us. The application in our life is not probably that we're going to lay down our life like He did, but we're going to lay down our life in what I've called here the little things. The little things. What does it really mean that Jesus laid down His life? It means that He became totally selfless for our good, right? It's the little things. If Jesus had been selfish, would He have done that? Clearly no. Now, are you a person that is really a servant? To other people. 
Well, you're going to know that, not in answering yes or no, but by really looking back over, let's say, the last week of your life, did you do little things to serve those that you came in contact with? The little things. Okay, Let's, we all live in a house or a home, uh, an apartment, uh, you know, an adobe hut, wherever you live, amen? We, 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 all, we all live in, in, a, in a house, right? There are a lot of things that have to go on to make a house work. Do you know that? I mean, if we started listing all the things that have to go on to make a house work on a daily basis, it would be a pretty long list. Do you do any of those things to make that house work? Do you do any of the little things? The little things. We talked last week about taking the trash out of the trash uh, can, right? Okay, that's obviously one thing of a myriad of things that take place in a house. Do you do the little things? How many of you consider yourself a morning person? Got some morning people here? How many of you consider yourself not a morning person? Whoa, a bigger number. A bigger number. Morning becomes a great time to do a little bit of a litmus test of how well are you doing in this area of your life. Because if you're one of the ones that raise your hand on the I'm not a morning person time, that's probably the time in your life where you're least likely to be selfless. And probably the time in your life where you're most inclined to be selfish. You understand what I'm saying? It's the little things. How cheerful are you in the morning? Do you greet those that you see? Okay, teenagers, how, 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 how giving are you to your mom and dad in the morning? Hey, Mom, good to see you. Love you, Mom. Thanks for making breakfast for me. Thanks for ironing my clothes. Thanks for washing my clothes. Thanks, Mom. Thanks. Good to see you. Good to see you, Dad. Come on now. How you doing on that? Front row. Front row. How are we doing? Are we friendly in the morning? It's the little things. It's the little things. You ever shined your dad's shoes for him? You ever said, Mom, I'll do the laundry today? Ooh. It's the little things. I'll do the dishes. They're mine tonight. I got them. Dinner's on me tonight. Don't worry. <laughs> it's the little things. The little things. Do a little thing. No, I would have laid down my life. You're not going to do that probably and neither am I. <laughs> the circumstances of life are probably not going to really call upon us to do that. And so we can't, we can't judge whether we're really doing this. Jesus says, I'll do it for you. I will lay down my life. And we know He did it. Okay, so he was good to his word. We're probably not going to be called to that. But so then we've got to we've got to understand, okay, it's not the big things, it's the little things that make all the difference in the world. But isn't that true in all areas of life? Isn't it the little things about a diet that make it successful or not? There are a lot of people in this room, I'm not pointing my finger at anybody, there are a lot of people in this room who need to lose weight. You know you need to lose weight. You're, 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 you're living an unhealthy lifestyle. You know it. 
You know you're not where you need to be. It's the little things that make all the difference. Just eat less. Smaller portions. It's the little things that make all the difference. Well, that candy bar isn't all that big a deal. Sure is. Because one candy bar ends up being a box of candy bars, you know. It's not a donut. Now you've eaten a dozen. Or a baker's dozen. You went 13, man. You went deep. You went deep. It's not a couple of potato chips. You ate the whole bag. You know what I'm saying? I mean, whoa. We got carried away there. Got momentum in on that. Just tore up that bag of chips. It's the little things that make all the difference right here. Jesus says, I will serve you. Now, you know, someone else said that one time. Peter, Jesus washed their feet. Peter in John 13 says, Jesus, where are you going? I'll go with you. I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, I'll tell you what you're going to do. Before tomorrow morning, before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times. But this is a great story. Because Jesus dies. He comes back. He resurrects. He's meeting with the guys. He, they have a, a fishing trip. And, and, and Jesus catches all the fish. And, 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 and they're eating it there on, on, the, uh, on the shore. And He says to Peter, He says, Peter, do you really love me? And you know the whole thing. And He goes on through all that. And then He says, Peter, come on, get your life together. Let's go, dude. He forgave him. He restored him. And Peter became awesome. Here's two things in my life and your life that are a certainty. I don't care if you're a man, a woman. I don't care if you're black, white, Asian, Latino, or any other subdivision that we can come up with. You may be both black and Latino. You may be white and Asian. Your family tree may look like a swamp, man. I mean, you, you, got, you, you can't even find the roots. That's that funny thing, you know, by the way, I'm going to do that sometime. Uh, they, they, they can just uh, they can give them like a drop of blood, or I think a hair follicle or something like that. And they can tell, they can do a DNA thing on you. And they can tell you everything you've got in you in your history. And it's a real wake-up call for a lot of people when they do it. Because they're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Well, you know, you might learn some things if you understand what I'm saying. And I'm going to do it just, just for fun. It's always been believed on my mother's side that there was some Indian blood in there. And so uh, we'll, we'll find out. Because, you know, when you do the DNA thing, it doesn't lie. You know, there's no prejudice there. It is or it isn't. You understand what I'm saying? Doesn't make any difference who we are, what our background is. Here's two things are true. You're going to mess up. And if you're going to go to heaven, you're going to have to re-up. Are you with me right there? You know what re-up means? It's a military term. You're getting to the end of the four-year term that you signed up for, and you re-up. You go back in and say, hey, I know I signed up for four years. I'm going to re-up for another four years. So, you're going to mess up. And if you're going to go to heaven, you're going to have to re-up. Let's do that together. Let's just admit it. I say it with me. I am going to mess up. 
Now, for most of us, that's real easy. You know, we've done it so many times. That, you know, yeah, uh-huh. you bet. I know it. I am going to mess up. I am. I'm not saying that for you, me, Marty. There's no question about it. I did last week. I will next week. You did last week. You will next week. There's not a question. I'm going to mess up. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not a one of us can't say that and mean it and know it. But see, if you're going to go to heaven, what you have to say is, I'm going to re-up. And that's one of the reasons I like Sunday church, because it's the first day of the week. That's one of the reasons I'm glad we take a communion every Sunday. Because every Sunday is a reminder, okay, it's time to re-up. Time to re-up. Time to forget what happened last week. It's time to get ready to go next week. Come on, I'm ready to go. Let's go. I'm going to mess up and I'm going to re-up. Because Jesus wants to be my shepherd. He's going to lay down His life for me. I need to learn how to lay down my life for people. It's the little things that make all the difference. And the second thing I want you to get right here in this, in this John 10 thing, he, he says, He promises you not only I will serve you, He says, I'll look for you. He says, I'll serve you and I'll search for you. He says, there are other people that will also be in here with us. I have to go get them. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Seek. Look for. You ever lost something that, that you didn't look for? You knew you lost it somewhere. But it's not that much, it isn't really of that much value, and so who cares? Have you ever lost something like that? Yeah. Now, I have to laugh. Chris, laugh. Chris shared about the, the teenagers using Rosie last night. And yesterday afternoon, I looked out at Rosie in the front left, I could see it looking right out my front window. The front left hubcap was gone. <laughs> And this has happened a bunch of times, and so I'd gone previously and gotten, you know, the, the hubcaps you can get at, uh, at O'Reilly's uh, uh, auto store, and so I said, oh, I, I, I got it. So I went back there, and I got one, and I'm putting it on, and I couldn't get it to go all the way on, you know, so I jammed it on with my hand, and, and I, I heard it crack, you know. And I went, well, okay, uh, I think it'll stay on there anyway. Amen. <laughs> And they, they took the car, Brian and Erica took the car last night, and sure enough, that front left hubcap went running off when they went over to Fremont and Huntington or something like that. And they didn't know it, of course you never know it when you're driving, but they had somebody behind them that was also going to the prom, and when they got to the prom, told Brian, hey, we saw your hubcap go off. At Fremont and Huntington. And you know what? And they, after the thing, they went back and started looking for it. <laughs> and they couldn't find it. And, and, and so Brian felt really bad. He said, oh, I really feel bad. And I tell you, you know, we lost your hubcap last night. <laughs> it's plastic. Barnett O'Reilly's. And you know what? If I'd have lost that, I wouldn't have gone back and looked for it because we've all lost something that we really don't care about it and it's not that big a deal. Ah, who cares? It's a plastic hubcap from O'Reilly's Auto Park. Who cares? We've also lost something at one time in our life 
where when you lost it, when you didn't know where it was, you got a pit in your stomach and you were like, oh no. And I'm telling you, you tore your bedroom apart. You looked under the cabinet. You found dirt in that room you didn't know you had. <laughs> you, you found other things that you didn't know you lost. But you looked for it and you looked for it and you looked for it until you found it. In Luke 15, Jesus tells the parables of the lost coin. He tells the parable of the lost sheep and the lost son, really the lost sons. And He says when that man lost that sheep, he left the 99 and he looked for that one sheep that he'd lost. And how long did he look for it? Until he found it. And he says, and the woman lost the coin. And she searched for that coin. How long? Until she found it. And then the parable of the prodigal son, the young son that runs off and spends all his, all his inheritance. And the old son, he's still at home and he's bitter and angry. And that was the real point of the, of, of, of the sheep and the coin was leading up to the sons. And it was really digging at the Jewish leaders who were just like that older son that were bitter and angry. And they had a form of righteousness, but they had no heart. They had no fun. They never laughed. Jesus says, I have come to seek and save the lost. Some of you in this room here are not Christians yet. Jesus is still looking for you. You're out there. Some of you are a good deal out there. Some of you are further out there than you think you are. And Jesus says, I'm going to look for them until I find them. In Matthew 9, Jesus looked out over the crowd. He says, I looked out over the crowd and he says, my observation is the people are harassed and helpless. No one likes to be harassed. You ever been harassed? Someone just really on you? You know, we talk a lot today about bullying. You know, like as if bullying was, you know, Invented in the last three years or something like that. There was bullying going on when I was in high school. I was a freshman, not very big kid. Went to the bathroom, a bunch of older seniors and juniors there. The meanest one in there came in and said, Stick your head in that toilet. And I said, No. Well, he said, if you don't stick it in there, I'll stick it in there for you. And I said, well, you're going to have to stick it in there because I'm not going to do it. And he said, I like you, kid. Get out of here. <laughs> you know the really funny end of that story? He was the meanest kid in school. And I didn't know it then, but later on in the year, I was going to be the varsity 98-pounder. And he was going to be the varsity 167-pounder. And we became really good friends. <laughs> we always warmed up together. 
But he was always mean. Ended up in prison. Got killed in prison. Bullying's not something that came up two weeks ago. It's always been going on. And it always will go on. We're not going to legislate it out of human nature, I'll guarantee you that. And by the way, bullying doesn't stop when you get out of high school. No one likes to be harassed. Jesus says these people are harassed. Satan is harassing them. I've played golf courses that I feel like that golf course is harassing me. (laughs) Everywhere I hit the ball, something is wrong. Every time I get on the green, I three-putt. It's I I I can't get I can't get it away from me. He said, "People are harassed, and they're helpless. There's nothing worse than feeling like I can't do anything to fix this. All of us get in a jam, but if I get in a jam and I feel like I can fix it, I'm like, okay, let's go. I'll get. I'm not gonna fix this." But you get in the jam sometimes in life and you realize, I can't fix it. Jesus says people are... This is His observation of people. People are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Why do people need to become a Christian? Not because becoming a Christian is going to fix their life. We sometimes sell Christianity to people saying, become a Christian and it's going to fix your life. Listen, they have messed up their life so bad, there's no fix for it. You're not going to fix their life. You can save their soul. Sometimes it is God's will, and this is a whole other river to go down. Sometimes it's God's will that we suffer to refine our character and to get us the kind of people at the end to be the kind of people that God needs us to be. That we're never going to get there if it's easy. We're only going to learn the lesson if it's tough. Becoming a Christian is not some Pollyanna. Everything's going to be great in your life. You're going to marry a great guy. You're going to marry a great girl. You're going to have great kids. You're going to be healthy. There's no guarantee for any of those things if you become a Christian. Becoming a Christian isn't you're going to get everything you want and it's going to be awesome. Now Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and life abundantly, but life abundantly doesn't mean life with no problems. Sometimes our problems are not problems that some people brought on us. It's problems because we brought it on ourselves. We shot ourselves in the foot. Boom! Ah! Why does my foot hurt? Because you shot it off, bonehead! (laughs) And then we went, God, why are you making me suffer? And God's saying, I didn't do anything. You're doing a good job yourself. Now try to learn something from it while you're there. Don't waste your suffering. Might as well get something out of it while you're there. 
you know, sometimes we're not as evangelistic as, as we need to be as Christians. Why aren't we? Well, really, it's because we don't value them very much. We know all kinds of lost people live all around us, but at the, at the bottom line is the reason we're not evangelistic because we really don't value them very much. Because remember the thing that you lost you didn't care about? Eh, no big deal. It's a hub, plastic hubcap from O'Reilly's. Eh, whatever, I get, I'm going to go get another one. I don't really value it. I don't know what, I'm not going to go to Huntington and Fremont looking for that, that, that thing today. I'll get it this afternoon. I don't really care. Why are we not evangelistic? Because we don't really value the people around us very much. But Jesus died for us anyway. He valued us enough to die for us knowing that many of us would never respond. Why are we not as evangelistic as we need to be? Because you've got to value people and you've got to be willing to put in the effort whether they respond or whether they don't. When we get that down, when we get that into our heart, we'll actually reach out to people and bring them to church. Why don't you reach out to people and bring them to Bible study? Why don't you reach out to people and ask them to study the Bible and talk about their spiritual life and where they're at in life? Because we value them and we realize whether they respond or whether they don't respond is not really my business, it's their business. I value you and I care about you. I want us to close this whole John 10 thing in Psalm 23. Because Psalm 23, guys, is just... I tell you, if you don't like Psalm 23, I've never known anybody didn't like Psalm How can you not like Psalm 23? Psalm 23 seems to be the epitome of, 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 of almost perfection of, of, of biblical passages. It, it's, uh, it's the one that people know if they don't know anything else. You know, John 3.16 and Proverbs 23, you know, we got that down. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He feels like a sheep, and the Lord is his, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I, I know God is going to take care of me. God's going to take care of you. It may not be the way you want to be taken care of. You may be driving Rosie instead of the what was in front of it, an Escalade, and behind it, what was behind it? A BMW. So we had a BMW, an Escalade, and Rosie. And God, God says, Mark, I think the Rosie will do you. Rosie's for you. You know what? Rosie's fine. I get everywhere I need to go and the teenagers got there too without a hubcap. <laughs> God isn't going to give you everything you'd like to have, but He's going to take care of you. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. Some people say, well, I don't, I don't want to be a Christian. I feel like God's going to be bossing my life around. <laughs> he certainly is. <laughs> God is going to boss you around and tell you to do some things that you probably don't want to do that you need to do. And when you start doing it, you're going to realize, oh, that was a good idea. I just didn't get it at the time. He makes me lie down in green pastures. For, you know, a sheep to be in green pastures is a good idea. But sheep sometimes are stupid and they think they need to be somewhere else. And God says, sit down now. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He takes me to the right places and gives me the right opportunities. He restores my soul. He fixes me when I mess it up. Man, I do. I mess it up. You ever mess it up? And He restores us. We re-up and God re-ups and we're restored. 
He guides me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Wow. Life can be hard sometimes. I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd's got a rod and a staff. He is armed to the teeth. He is ready for wolves. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David knew he had enemies. You've got some enemies in your life that would like to see you go down. I've got some people in my life, I know who they are, I'm not going to tell you who they are, but I know they're out there that would love to see me fall dead on my face and look like an idiot. David had them, I have them, and so do you. Some of them are your family. They would love to see you mess it up. And say, well there you go, I've been telling you for 15 years that Christianity thing is a bunch of baloney. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And David knew he had so many people that loved him and cared for him. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I've never been in a house that didn't have a master bedroom and then the other bedroom. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you got the master bedroom, you got the other bedroom, and maybe you got the bunkhouse on the second floor, you know, where there's just four beds and no walls. No bathroom up there. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been in a house like that? Yeah. You go in the master bedroom, and you're like, dang, nice bedroom. I'm in the bunkhouse. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's imagery. I don't think there's really a brick and mortar home in heaven. I don't think they have a therapeutic bed and a whirlpool jacuzzi and a, and a double-headed shower, you know. He's using imagery to say, I'm going to live with God and the saved and the family environment of heaven forever. And David saw this. This was centuries before. He saw this in the conceptual eye of, of, a, of a shepherd boy himself, of the shepherd and the sheep. I hope this two, really two-week study of, of I am the gate, the, I, am, I got the voice and they follow me, I'm the good shepherd, has really uh, been good for you in, in studying out and thinking about, praying about, uh, your relationship with God. Love you guys. We've not had one teenager go to sleep. I love our teenagers. I think our teenagers are awesome. Have a great week.